Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. Okay. How many of you are ready to dive into the Word? I know that's why you're so quiet. You're just so quiet because you're ready for the Word. Let's go, right? Okay. This is part three of nine months of preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, more specifically, the Beatitudes. Today is number three of a lot of sermons that are to come. If you have missed some of those sermons and you want to hear them, you can go to our church website, churchatthearmory.com, and our sermons are there, or they're on Apple Podcasts, Church at the Armory, and you can listen to those sermons and stay caught up. And uh, even if you want to listen to them again, uh, because sometimes I get talking real fast and say stuff that I don't mean to say, and you need to go back and discern what the Spirit is saying. Amen? Uh, so, praise the Lord. So, uh, today is part three, and it's the final introduction next week, February the 4th. On a Sunday, we're going to start on what it means for one month to be poor in spirit. This is going to be wonderful. This is going to be great. I mean, how many are so excited about just drilling home what it means to be poor in spirit? I take that as amen. <laughs> so, like, and, and then the next month, we're going to just drill home what it means to mourn with God and like all this kind of stuff. It's going to be great. I honestly believe that if we shut our hearts to this, we're going to be changed by the word. How many know the word will change you? Okay. And so we're going to be changed by the word. And so today is I got five points that I've got to, uh, if I want to get done with the introduction, I've got to go, go, go. So I need you to listen really fast. Amen. How many of y'all can do that? Okay, so um, we're going to get started right now. Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably one of my favorite uh, scholars and authors on this subject of the Sermon on the Mount in general. Um, This is what he said. He says, here, the Sermon on the Mount is the life to which we are called. And and he says, I maintain again that if only every Christian in the church today were living the Sermon on the Mount, the great revival for which we are praying and longing would already have started. Amazing and astounding things would happen that the world would be shocked and men and women would be drawn and attracted to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones thought the Sermon on the Mount was kind of a big deal. And I do too. Now we're going to read it, okay? We're going to read through the first, uh, we're going to read through the, the Beatitudes, not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Beatitudes. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen upstairs, or right up here. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, okay? Next verse says, Blessed are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think, never mind, stop me. I need you all to help me. When I start uh, pontificating on a particular one of these before it's time, which is March here, I need you to stop me and say later to Chester. Right now, just stay with it. Right? So, so I want to just stop and preach everyone, and I can't do that. Number uh, verse 5, blessed are the meek or the gentle or the humble, right? For they shall inherit the earth. By the way, raise your hand if you're poor in spirit. 
Good. Raise your hand if you're uh, um, mourning and grieving with God. Good. Raise your hand if you're gentle and meek and humble. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> right. So uh, how many of y'all after last week when I preached on the repentance aspect and how we need to be transformed by these things, it's like, man, I, I'm not nearly as close as I thought I was. Okay, yeah. It's kind of why I said while I said while I go is like, here's this thing. It's like, I can remember when I was a really bad person, but you know, I'm pretty good, right? But the idea is, even as good as I am, quote unquote, today, when I compare myself to the scriptures, I still fall short. Think of it this way. Uh, the prophet Isaiah wasn't just a normal dude. He was the leading spiritual voice in the nation of Israel. Probably the most, quote unquote, holy man at the time. Isaiah, Right? Right? In other words, people would say, man, I want to be really spiritual like Isaiah one day. I want to be really holy like Isaiah. That makes sense. He was the guy everybody looked up when it came to spiritual matters and spiritual things and living for, for Yahweh. Right? And he gets in the spirit and he sees a vision of the Lord coming into the temple and is trained from the temple. And the holiest human alive in the nation of Israel falls on his face and says, woe is me for I am undone. That's where we are. Like when we start looking at these things and we see the, the depth and the magnitude of them, I don't think any of us can say, man, I know what I'm doing. I got it figured out, right? I've arrived. I've mastered the Beatitudes. I am very poor in spirit. I am the most merciful guy you've ever met, right? That's the Beatitudes, right? And so there's this thing that the Beatitudes will prove to you if you will let them that you are not self-righteous. Amen. Okay, this is going to be a long day. I can done tell. Verse 6 says this, Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Amen? Next, it says, Blessed are those who are merciful. If you want mercy, you got to give mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Raise your hand if you want to see God. I mean, isn't that like kind of the point? Like, I want to see God. Pure heart. Pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And finally, blessed are, blessed are you when they persecute you. And they, uh, uh, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll stop there. All right. So here's the thing. Again, I want to go back to last week and say that the fact that we read these things and we understand we fall short is the idea that I am a walking life and I'm doing it my way, right? I'm not trying to be poor. I'm trying to be rich. I'm not trying, and I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about in just fame and, and power and glory and I mean all the kind of stuff that we achieve and uh, strive to be. I'm going to be successful. I'm gonna, no, and the, and the first thing Jesus says is come and get poor, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to, and so we're walking and we're trying to make, build our life and do our life our own way. And Jesus says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, turn around and stop doing life your way, but walk towards the kingdom of God. And this is what it looks like to walk toward the kingdom of God. Do these things. Uh, put, up, put up the slide that starts with poor, right? Here's what I need you to do. 
I need you to be, uh, you got it, brother? Poor, mourn, meek, hunger, merciful, pure, peacemaker, and persecuted. This is what the kingdom way looks like. How many of y'all sign up for that? You already did. <laughs> right? It was when you said yes to Jesus. You're like, I'm going to be poor. I'm not again, I'm not talking about necessarily money. I'm talking about in heart. I'm going to need for the spirit more than I need for anything else. I think I heard somebody moan. All right, so what happens is, is we're convinced this is the kingdom way. And I've been two weeks, I'm trying to teach you that. This is the kingdom way. And then what happens is, is now you've got, okay, that's the kingdom way. I need to do this. And then something's going to come up in your psyche. Let me say it this way. The enemy is going to give you a reason, a legitimate, viable reason in your mind that you don't have to pursue this radically. Does that make sense? This is what I call, in my opinion, this is what, like, uh, uh, this is what I call the outlier. In other words, God tells you to do something, and we look for the .001% thing that happens in life that gives us some sense of legitimacy not to do the great thing God said. Can I give you an example? Like God says, be merciful, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall re... Okay, and then inevitably, inevitably, somebody's going to walk up to me and they're going to say at some point, yeah, but what about Hitler. In other, words, in other words, I should base how I respond in the, in the lifestyle of mercy based upon the outlier of that one instance where this guy was so bad that, that we had to take it, right? And so, you, and so we bring these Hitler instances to God and say, what about this? As, and, and I don't need to be a lifestyle of mercy because there's always going to be Hitlers in the world. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So, you, so hell will make sure that, that you have this exception to the rule. These are essentially rules. These are essentially laws. For instance, Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. He met with God and came back to where all the people were and handed out the law. Jesus goes up on a mountain. All the people gather at the base of the mountain and he, and he gives the law 2.0 in the Beatitudes starting with the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the lifestyle of the kingdom. This is the law of God 2.0. And then we'll look for any reason. We have to, we don't, actually, we don't have to look for a reason. Hell will make sure we come up with an excuse not to be merciful. Yeah. And what we'll do is we'll, 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 we'll use these outlier issues like Hitler. And then, and then the thing we know, we haven't forgiven somebody who we've come at odds with. And we're using Hitler as an example. And they ain't Hitler. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so beware the outlier issue. And in other words, and I don't want to get too deep into this right now because I, I will at some point. I, I'm going to tell you now, we'll talk more about this when we get to pure in heart. You don't see it correctly. What is it? Whatever your situation is, you don't see it correctly. You see it through a lens of whatever your life experiences have taught you to view things. The only thing that you can do to see it correctly is to see it by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And the only way you get there is to get poor, 
mournful, meek. You see what I'm saying? And, and so my point is that you may think, uh, you may think your heart is right, and, you, and the heart is the most difficult thing to determine if it's right or not. Somebody say amen. And so you have to like really put your heart through the paces. Or actually, you must expose your heart to God and let him put it through the paces. So I'm going to talk about more of that in a little bit. But I want to just, you got to get poor. You got to get, uh, you got to grieve for what grieves heart, God's heart. You got to get meek, humble, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, lowly. Those types of things is a contrast to powerful. You got to be uh, hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God. You have to be merciful. You got to be pure in your heart. You got to be a peacemaker. And you got to be, per- and, you, and you're going to get persecuted. And you got to respond to that persecution with what the scripture literally says joy and gladness. Rejoice and be glad. Okay, let's move on. So, don't allow the outlier, don't, re, don't allow the 0.01% chance thing to define how you're going to or not do these beatitudes. That makes sense? Don't look for an excuse not to do these things. Find every permission the scripture gives you to live this way. Man, I wish you would say amen every once in a while. <laughs> okay, like I mean, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Okay, and and do not give yourself permission not to do it. That's point number one. Everybody, everybody say amen. amen. Number two, there's this teaching that's like, um, uh, well, you know, this is a broader context for the body of Christ. And not every individual is expected to do all these things. Rather, they're subgroups of the body, and each subgroup is supposed to represent one of these groups. So raise your hand if you're naturally inclined to... My personality, I'm just a very merciful person. Raise your hand. <laughs> See, Missy, that's the danger about having your spouse in her. She's like, I'm merciful, and I want to go, <gasps> but there was that time. See what I'm saying? Like, uh, the point is, is like, uh, don't make the Beatitudes personality traits. Yeah. Well, you know, that person just, you know, he, that's just his personality. He's more gruff, so we give him a free pass for being uh, not meek. Well, that, you know, that person's just naturally merciful. So, you know, uh, you, know you see what I'm saying? Like, the, A, none of us are naturally like this. That makes sense? You might have a moment of mercy and call it, I'm a, I'm a merciful person. But generally speaking, you don't operate in all things mercy. Somebody say amen. So this is absolutely the opposite of what's natural, which is why it's from another kingdom. It's a supernatural kingdom that comes and says, you're natural, repent and do the supernatural, which and this is as supernatural as all the other stuff that the scripture talks about. And the only way you can do these things is by the spirit. I'm going to get to more of that later. But, but uh, so in other words, don't, the enemy has given scholars reason to like find a way not to fulfill these things, all these things in one person. It's the same way with the gifts of the spirit. Right? Or the fruit of the, not the gift, the fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit. It is love. And there's attributes of what love looks like. Well, there's one kingdom way. It is Spirit. And these are all attributes of what the Spirit man looks like. This world and its system is based on flesh. 
soul, mind, will, emotions, conventional man-made wisdom versus, Danny, the wisdom that comes from God, right? This world and its system is on flesh. It is why we must have the spirit from another dimension that we walk our life by and we live by the spirit, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And you can have good flesh and still not be led by the spirit. You can have really conventional wisdom and not be led by the Spirit. You see what I'm saying? Uh, just because you're not out there uh, living like a complete, just retrograde person and you're pretty moral doesn't mean you're walking according to the Spirit. That makes sense? And so the number one point is to be poor in Spirit. In other words, what you need more than anything is Spirit. And this is what Spirit Man looks like. And all of us should embody because we have the same Spirit. There's one, how many Spirits are there? One spirit, one body, right? And, and, and one, in the unity of the, that's what uh, Philippians chapter 3 teaches that there's one spirit. And that same spirit in us all, we should, uh, we should exhibit these kingdom ethics called the Beatitudes. So, next point. I'm hurrying because these last three points are going to be uh, a little bit longer. Uh, anybody watch The Chosen a little bit at all? Okay, if you haven't watched The Chosen... It's, it's probably a good idea to go watch The Chosen. It's pretty cool. But there's, they, they have gotten to the point in the show, in the timeline of Jesus, where they're talking about, they, they, they did Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, a, it's something I never, ever thought of before. And that was the idea that Jesus prepared to preach. You ever thought about that? I mean, this is what I do. Like, this is what I, I get to do. I, I get to prepare to preach every week. I never thought about Jesus preparing to preach. I thought he just showed up and just said, uh, you know, just said what, what he said because he's God and, you know, he don't have to prepare. And, and, and the, the Chosen was kind of the first show to kind of give you this idea that Jesus kind of prepares to preach. And I want to say this. This is important because this is, in the same way I illustrated last week that repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is not just Jesus's message. It was God's message that started with John the Baptist and Jesus took up the mantle of that same message and kept preaching it. This fundamental concept of the Beatitudes, what the blessed man looks like, is something even the Old Testament testifies to. Amen? And we try to compartmentalize everything. We say, well, the Old Testament was for way back then. We ain't got to worry about it, what, none so ever, which is not true. Amen. The scriptures are alive, all of them, from Genesis to Revelation, and they should be eating and partaking of them because they all are in harmony, and they're trying to get us to the same goal. Somebody say amen. All right? So I'm going to give you two passages of scripture. The first one is Psalm 1. So my point is this. Jesus is preparing. I'm not sure if he's writing notes or, or whatever, but I know he's th Jesus is really um, well-versed in the scriptures, right? How do we know that? At 12 years old, he's meeting in the temple and he's confounding the, uh, the teachers and the scribes and the Pharisees with his knowledge of the scriptures. Amen? Amen? So Jesus knows the word at a young age. Now he's like in his 30s, uh, 30 years old, and, 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 I'm, and he's preparing for this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, which is, I believe, more than just a sermon. It's his life message. It is the message of the kingdom. And um, he, he starts off with the phrase, how blessed is the man. But what does that sound like? What does that sound like? What is, how do we know about the blessed man? Psalm 1. Everybody say Psalm 1. What is the, the Psalms brother, are part of the book of wisdoms, right? 
the psalm has, is, is a very deep wisdom. And the psalm starts off with the, this particular book of wisdom and, it's, and it introduc- in its introduction into all 150, right? Psalms, is the very first sentence is, how blessed is the man. Jesus is, I'm teaching right now, but Jesus is looking back at the Psalm 1 and he is in coming in harmony and he's pulling from the imagery of Psalm 1 and he's going to reteach Psalm 1 with, uh, in the, the same way he's doing the law 2.0. He's taking it up a notch. Does that make sense? This makes sense a little bit more in a second, especially if you were here last week. How blessed is the man. Go back to Matthew. Don't do it the scripture, but go back to Matthew chapter three uh, or Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed is the man. This the the fundamental definition of the beatitudes. This is what the blessed man looks like. You can contrast that with the wicked man, or you can contrast that when Jesus later on speaks to Pharisees. He goes, uh, "Woe to you, Pharisees!" Pronounced blessings. To the blessed man, pronounce judgment to the ones who look like this. Blessings and woes. Blessings and curses. Blessings and wickedness. You see what I'm saying? The blessed man looks like this. The wicked man looks like this. John, in 1 John, said uh, it's really obvious. It says it's obvious who the children of God and who the children of the devil are. And we always look at the children of God and at their ministry gifts and talents. I'm telling you, the, the, the definition of what the people of God look like are the Beatitudes. Not how great they preach, not how great they prophesy, not how great they whatever. It's, uh, it's the Beatitudes. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I, I don't have time to preach this whole thing, though. we're just going to read it for a second, okay? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit at the seat of the scoffers. His delight is in the law. Not when you think law, you think about what Paul is rebuking, right? Those Pharisees and those religious leaders who were abusing the law. This is not what the psalmist is talking about when he talks about law. He's talking about that very beautiful instruction from God that came out of heaven on Mount Sinai. It is the basic template of what the people of God and the people of Israel would look like. And that makes sense? So how blessed is the man uh, who his, his delight... He's in, what does delight mean? He loves it. I am telling you, you may think I'm a weirdo and you're, and you're right. I have fallen in love with the Beatitudes, the law 2.0. I love it. It hurts so good. Y'all out there at all? The more I look at it, the more I, I see how nasty I am. I'm like, this is great. That makes sense? You understand what I'm saying to you? Like, I love the law. And I'm telling you, my, if my delight is in the law of the Lord. And if I'm thinking about this and meditating on this day and night, his law has hidden in my heart. That was a joke. Danny said a while ago, if he could borrow my Bible. And I said, I don't have a Bible with me. He's like, what did you just read from? My phone, right? That's how we do it, yo. Right? And he's like, you ain't got, preacher ain't carry cash, preacher ain't got a Bible. I'm like, the word is hidden in my heart. And he laughed at me. The delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it. In other words, uh, uh, getting into this, the call, look at me, the call to live this lifestyle is something that consumes us. 
Not just something we do on a Sunday morning. Verse 3 says this. He, that man who delights in the law, will be like a tree. And how many of you remember the a tree analogy from last week? The analogy of the tree and its root system and what is the root. We always, 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 always talk about roots and the negative. If I said you have a root of, the first thing you're going to say is bitterness. Anger. You're just going to start talking about all these character defunts, right? And, and especially in the charismatic world. If you've got a root, it's a bad one. How many of y'all grew up in church? I feel very alone today, okay? Okay, and to my point, like, if you talk about roots, it's always a bad one. We never, ever, 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 ever talk about the root system planted by the streams of living water. What is that root system? I don't know. Maybe it's what he's delighting in day and night. Maybe it's the law. And so I'm, you know how excited I am to have biblical language for a healthy root system? What is the healthy root system? Poor meek, merciful, peace. You see what I'm saying? And if you have that root system planted in God's stream of spirit, then you're going to have these leaves that never turn green. You're going to produce fruit in, every, in all your seasons, right? And it's going to be an amazing thing. How many of y'all want to be that tree? Amen? So here's the thing. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season, leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, Danny prospers. Somebody say Amen. Everybody say prospers. Good. Okay. Now, the wicked, you have the blessed man. The wicked, they're not like this. It's really weird because we always talk about how blessed the wicked are. My hand is broken today. Like, it's just not working anymore. We live in a world where we, woe is me, and the wicked are prospering, and they get all the good stuff, and they have all the power, and they have, you see what I'm saying? And, and I'm telling you, they got nothing. They're wicked. They're withering away. God is using them for their purpose, and he will flick them off the face of the planet at his discretion. The, but the blessed man, the blessed man is a righteousness that stands for eternity. We don't we'll have the revelation of our uh, blessing, and we don't have the revelation of their wickedness. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. Literally, the spirit can blow them away at any moment. Good preaching, Pastor Chester. Verse 5, the wicked will not stand in judgment. Sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way. That narrow road, the way of the righteous but the wicked will perish. Now, I used to think, and I've, and I've thought this for a while, Jesus was thinking about Psalm 1 when he wrote the Beatitudes. I absolutely think he was, but I think that's not the only passage of Scripture he was thinking about. There's a new one. I discovered this this week, and I was like, this is amazing. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Or you might say it this, the prophet who mourns. Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 17 says this. You got Jeremiah 17, brother? Verse 5. O-M-G. Everybody in an election year, 2024, read the first sentence. The Lord says, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. 
I'm saying exactly what you think I'm saying. What is the what is the comparison? This is what the blessed man looked like. This is what the wicked man looks like. This is what the blessed man looks like. This is what the cursed man looks like. His hope is in the Republican nomination. That went over well. Okay. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes his flesh a strength. That sounds very poor, doesn't it? How, how weak is this flesh? How weak is your flesh? <laughs> Isn't it insanity for this weak flesh people to think somehow we've, we've gotten strong in God? And how self-righteous we are? Oh, I'm pretty strong, actually. There's only one thing you can have. Uh, Paul says, in your, strength, or in your weakness, you have some grace. It's really great. And what you have is a dependency upon the spirit, not the flesh. That's called being poor in spirit. Thus saith the Lord, curses the man who trusts in mankind, makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's not a pure heart. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 6, he will be like a tree. No, a bush. Isn't this amazing? Psalm 1, right? Jeremiah is contrasting Psalm 1 with this prophecy. He's not a tree. He's a bush in the desert. What's not running through the desert? A stream of living water, right? So he's just dried up bush in the desert. It will not see prosperity. What was promised to the righteous man planted by the streams of living water? Everything he does will this man will not have prosperity because he's cursed. His confidence is in the flesh. His confidence is in man. He is not dependent upon God in his spirit. And he will dry up in the stony waste in the wilderness, the land of salt. Okay? For those of you, raise your hand if you went with us to Israel at some point. Okay, good. Okay, okay. we need to do that again then, obviously. Who would like to go to Israel one day? Okay, all right, we'll just buy a ticket and go. Okay, now... Here's the thing. If you've been to Israel, we know that Jesus is preaching this Sermon on the Mount in Galilee. It is beautiful. Luscious, green, rolling hills by the what sea? The Sea of Galilee. <laughs> right? Okay, so that, I'm sorry. That was, that was kind of rude. But it's the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee. He's up on the mountain, up on the hill, and he's preaching this sermon. It is lush, green. There's people down there who make a living by catching fish. It's lively. It's teeming with life. You just drive a few, uh, a few miles. Not a few, like, but you know, 20, 30 miles, 40 miles. I don't know how much, it's, but it's not long. It's, it's like two or three hours away from that spot, and you're at the Dead Sea. Literally, salt will clump up in mounds this high. The land of salt without an inhabitant. What grows in the Dead Sea? So Jesus is like, has this, or Jeremiah has this contrast. It's, this is what the blessed man's like. He's going to talk about that in a second. Psalm 1 says, it's a man planting in this luscious stream and everything he does flourishes. The other guy's like a bush in the middle of the desert with the salt mounds and there's no life there. Does that make sense? So they're building this contrast. All right, verse 7. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord. Your number one need in life is God, a.k.a. his spirit. You can try to do your life in the flesh. You're a withered bush in a desolate land. You can do your life in God, and your leaf will never never wither. Verse 8. Verse 8. He will be like a tree. I mean, Jeremiah, it's almost like the same spirit that was prophesying through David is prophesying through Jeremiah. Whoa! Right? Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by water, extends its root by a stream. He will not fear when the heat comes. Somebody say amen. Uh, I don't know, Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's got enough worry of its own, right? He's not worried about the time when he's going to come. He's plugged into the stream. How do you live a life without worry? You're plugged into the Spirit. It's the only way you can live a life without worry. If your confidence is in the flesh whatsoever, you will get anxiety will rule your mind. But if you're plugged into the Spirit, you can do life in the midst of hell. I was better preaching than amen, but I will do it anyway. He's, his leaves will be green, and he will not be, oh, I just said that, anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Verse, uh, verse 8, uh, 9. Listen to this. This is where I want to get to. Your heart. Everybody say, my heart. My heart. Come on. Say, my heart. my heart. How good's your heart? How pure is your heart? Isn't it funny, though? If we're having to land in some decision mode, we always land with the judgment of our heart. Well, I figured, I, I know my heart before, I know before God I'm, well, how do you know? You know because you want what you want. Do you know because you've allowed your heart to be tested by him and it was proven pure? The heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? You want to know the least qualified person in the room to understand your heart? You. Who can? Well, the preacher. No. I don't got mine figured out. How in the world can I figure yours out? Who can? The Holy Ghost. Okay, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. This is essentially, as we step off into the Beatitudes, this is what I'm asking all of us to do. I'm asking you to acknowledge you don't know your heart. And I'm asking you to lay your heart open before the Lord and say, search it and test it. 
do we naturally want to do this? No, no, no. Ignorance is bliss. Amen? Why would we do this? Because the Lord has called us to it. Even to give each man according to his ways. That's why you don't live according to your ways. You live according to H, capital H, his ways. Somebody say amen. According to the results of his deeds. Now, I absolutely fully believe that when Jesus was getting ready to, whether he wrote down his notes about the Sermon on the Mount, or whether he was just chewing on these things in his spirit, and he stands up there and he says, blessed is the man. All right, blessed are the, right, in his, if there, there was a faint echo of David writing Psalm 1 and Jeremiah writing Psalm 17, an echo in the scripture, and he's not just having, I mean, said it this way, in the same way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand was not just Jesus's idea, it was the message God had for a long time. In the same way, this message is not a Jesus brand new message. It's the message of God that's been laid down for generations and generations. And Jesus is just there to reintroduce the message and to call us higher up to it. Yeah. Amen? So, two more points and I'm done. Oh, it's only 1130. We got plenty of time. The Beatitudes build. If you're taking notes, number one, beware the outlier issue. Number two, don't personalize, uh, uh, don't think of it, in uh, what did I write down? Number two, the eight Beatitudes are ethics to be embodied by every believer. Don't, don't make them personality traits. Number three, just write Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17. Number four, the Beatitudes build and they're two sets. Let me explain this. Uh, so Missy said a while ago, she's merciful. <laughs> okay. So, um, <clears throat> so <laughs> yeah, we all know she has moments of mercy. Amen? Raise your hand if you've ever been merciful. Y'all are scaring me real bad. Come on, raise your hand if you've ever had a moment of mercy. But how many of you, when I ask you if you raise your hand and say, are you merciful, Everybody's like, no, I'm not merciful. I had a moment of mercy. This is the illustration I'm trying to make. All of us can have a moment of one of these beatitudes. That's not what we're talking about. We're not trying to get you to have a good moment when you need to have a good moment. We're trying to get you to live a lifestyle of these things as a representation of the kingdom of God. So when we think about that way, you know, you can, well, I remember that one time, I let myself off the hook. I remember that one time when I should have given that guy who cut me off the, uh, the one finger wave, but I didn't. I didn't. I'm merciful. I'm pure hearted. <clears throat> but what he couldn't hear. Yeah. That's why you should rob Missy. Anyway, so uh, let's go to, uh, well, just turn that, screen, turn that screen off. Actually, put on the, the, uh, the poor slide again. So, you have four, you have poor, mourn, meek, hunger, merciful, pure, peacemaking, persecution, persecuted. I believe to have a lifestyle of the Beatitudes, you have to build line upon line, Precept upon precept, go from one glory to the next glory. You have to build them in a systematic order. 
You're going to have a moment of purity. You're going to have a moment of peacemaking. But to have a lifestyle, you've got to, number one, the foundation of your kingdom walk has to be laid out that you are poor in spirit. Make sense? And then once you have built this life of being poor in spirit, then you can add on to what it means to be uh, mourning or or then I have the ability to discern or um, grieve with the things that grieve God's heart. In other words, I can emote what God emotes. Here. I can't ascertain the heart of God if that isn't my greatest need. This is a bigger problem. I'm not going to get off into this. This is a big problem. The church doesn't know the heart of God. That's what it means to mourn. To uh, the things that grieve him, grieve us. I ain't just talking about your personal sin. I'm talking about in society and life in the world. I've, how many of y'all? Oh, never mind. I, I told this to the teenagers on Wednesday night because uh, I filled in and, and did, did a little talk. But I talked about how over time society has normalized things to the point that we don't. Uh, we're not grieved by them the way we were once grieved by them. So as a young boy in the late 80s, when I would see homosexuality, I'd be like, it was, it was just, it was like there was an innate disgust or uh, like that, that, that really, 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 really bothers me. And now I see it all the time and I'm just like, it's just a fact of life. So is my goal to get more disgusted with home? That's not my goal. My goal is to still be sensitive to the spirit. And this world is hardening my heart. As a Christian, this world is hardening my heart to the things of God because I just get comfortable with them. So I can never get God's heart unless that his heart is my greatest need. I'm poor for it. The spirit. And then once I have the heart of God, then I can kind of start getting meek. I'm going to come back to this. And then once I've kind of gotten humble... And, you know, lowly, well, then at that point, I can actually hunger for righteousness. I don't even know what righteousness is until I get to that point. That makes sense? I can hunger for righteousness. And then once I start hungering for righteousness, only once I've gotten poor, the heart of God, uh, humble, and, and, and hungry for what is right in God's eye, only then can I extend mercy I might have a moment of mercy every once in a blue moon, but to live a lifestyle of mercy, I can't do it on a consistent basis if I've not done those other things first. Amen? And then once I kind of get merciful, then I can kind of see things the right way. Pure in heart. That's what it means, literally, to see it the right way. I can't see, you cannot see your situation right if you haven't first gotten merciful. And you can't get merciful if you haven't got hungry for God's righteousness. And you can't be hungry for God's righteousness if you haven't first established humility on that heart. And you can't establish humility unless you want God's heart to be your heart. And you can't want God's heart to be your heart until the only thing you want is God's heart. Shoot, that was good preaching. 
And then, once I see things correctly, then I can be used of God to go make peace in a situation. But I can't go judging something because I have a huge plank in my eye. It's almost like it's the same sermon. It is the same sermon. Wow. Okay? And the thing that I can't go make peace in a situation until I see it right. And I can't see it right until I'm merciful. And I can't be merciful. And you see what I'm saying? And then I can't go make peace if I'm not willing to die for the peace. Not only die for the peace, but rejoice in the persecution. Uh, by the way, this is Christianity one-on-one. That's how far away the Western church is from Christianity. This seems like big boy stuff. This is Christianity one-on-one. The very first thing Jesus even began to teach. That's how far away we are. So not only they build, I'm talking about lifestyle. I can ask you to have a moment of of any of these at, at, at some point, but I'm talking about lifestyle. It's one thing to say, Hannah was merciful in that situation. It's another thing to say, Hannah is a merciful person. And what we want is to stand before God and him say, I see you as a kingdom person. They're also build, but they're also two sets. The set on the left and the set on the right. The set on the left deals with your relationship with God. The set on the right deals with your relationship with man. Pour for his God spirit. Mourn. Uh, what's on God's heart's on your heart. This will blow your mind. When I started studying this, this blew my mind. We always think about meekness in terms of how we treat other people. And what about meekness in terms of how we approach God? Woo! Woo! Y'all hear what I'm saying? Is there not, do you not sense in our modern world, in the spirit of the age, some arrogance in the way that mankind approaches God? Romans 1 and 2 talk about this. The first call to meekness is how I I walk into the presence of the Lord. Okay, that'll that'll be a whole month that we'll get there. Okay, all right. And the next thing is hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. That's not toward other people, that's with God. So, once I do the first set with, once I get my set with God down, then I can expect to maybe start getting my set with people down, right? Because what's next? Merciful towards people. Uh, By the way, Jesus taught this principle. It's crazy, crazy, crazy to receive mercy from God, but not give mercy to people. Right? So, and then pure hearted is is literally, again, I'm going to change the definition. You think pure hearted means being like pure or nothing wrong with you. It literally means a single eye who sees things perfectly, the way God sees it. Blessed are the pure in heart for they can see God. But you're you're seeing a vision from a high place. And so my my pure in heart is, is how I see other people. In light of what he teaches in the sermon, how he would judge other people. And the first thing you got to know about judging other people is get the big log out of your eye so you can see it right. And then it's peacemaking, people. It's persecuted, people. It's almost like the great commandment, 
was written out in more detail. Love God, love people. Well, how do I do that? Glad you ask. This is what it looks like to love God. Get poor, mournful, meek, and hungry. What's it look like to love people? Get merciful, pure, peacemaking, and persecuted. I mean, isn't it a great definition of love uh, that even while we were yet sinners, he died for us? The greatest example of persecution is Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Amen? Isn't it Stephen standing there getting stoned to death saying, God, forgive them for they know not what they do? Right? Right? They could not get there until they started with number one. This is why we're going to go slow and build these things. Okay, okay, I'm almost done. Okay? Um, look at my notes. Yep, I've pretty much said all that. Line upon line, precept upon precept. That's a biblical model. Number five. This is the question, I think, that if you're actually thinking about this with me and you're actually uh, pursuing this line of messaging, uh, you've got to ask yourself this question. How many of y'all have asked yourself this question? I don't know if I can do it. By show, by show of hands, how many of you have gotten there already? I just don't know if I can do it. You can't. There's I, astonishingly... There is a lot of church history, founding fathers, who taught the Beatitudes as like how it's going to be in eternity when perfection comes. Or this is like a utopian idea that Jesus is asking us to do where this is what the perfect world looks like. You're not really going to, you're not going to get there. So, you know, just give it your best shot, chum. Right? Right? Let me go back. Let me go back. Back to my last point. Put the other verse up there. Put the other picture up there. As one more way of showing you how they ascend. Uh, take out the first one and the last one because they're the bookends of the, of the ethics. It starts with comfort in your heart when you mourn. It starts with uh, you get the earth, right? My heart, I get the earth. It starts with satisfaction with God. And then it moves into, blessed Lord, mercy for those shall receive. So now I'm receiving mercy from God. So I started off with my own heart, and then it went to the earth, and then it went to the first step of God, and then I'm, I'm, I'm getting mercy from God, and then now I can see God, and then now I'm a son of God. So not only does the call ascend and build, but the reward ascends and builds. You start off in your own heart, and you end up as a son of God. Does that make sense? Just wanted to make sure I got that out there because somebody was going to ask. <laughs> okay, next one. Uh, that was funny because I don't think anybody's going to ask. Next, go back, go back to, uh, go back to my, uh, uh, yeah, just leave that up there. All right, so listen, can you do this? The short answer is no, but the short answer is yes. And when I took this class, uh, this Greek class, and that was the first question my professor started with is, is, is the expectation that this is actually practical and can be done? Can you actually be expected to live that way? Well, the answer is obviously, like, how many of you would say yes? Of course, of course. I mean, I, I, I'm demonstrating the kingdom, right? This is what the kingdom looks like. But can you do it? Like, do you have the power, the ability to do it? In your flesh, you do not. 
Look at me. Look at me. It's going to take the Beatitudes to do the Beatitudes. Isn't that crazy? It's going to take the Beatitudes to do the Beatitudes. Here's what I mean. And I hope this helps everybody because I really want to get all sense of striving and all sense of like earning and all sense of like just pick up your boots and your straps and all that. What do I call that? Pick up your Pull up your pants by your boot. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is. Okay, like whatever the straps and boots do, okay? I'm just saying, I don't know what it is. But can I do it? Can I just, can I just wheel my way into being a kingdom Christian? No. You can't. You can't do this in the flesh. So, look at me. Right now, everybody, take a deep breath. A... You're going to mess up. Is that lowering the standard? No. I want to do two things. I want to keep the standard high, high, high because it is. It's not my standard. It's God's standard. Amen? Keep it high, high, high. The other thing is God, we just, we just sang the song, Psalm 103, Right? You may have been thinking about your worst moment, like I said. He's removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. You may have been thinking about your worst sin. I started there, but I ended up with, but God, I'm trying to call an entire church to the high standard. I need you to help remove my current sin and my current failure. And he's faithful to do that. Amen? So how do we do this? By the Spirit. So look at me. I want to help you. The call to live the beatitude life isn't the call to mirror that as perfectly as you can. The call is to walk in the Spirit and to watch these roots develop in your life as you grow in them. Here's what's going to happen. How many of you are going to get in the spirit? Raise your hand. Oh, Lord, we need revival. <laughs> Let's try one more time. Raise your hand if you're going to get in the spirit. Okay, raise your hand. Once you get in the spirit, you're going to get out of the spirit at some point. Right? Right? Like, man, you wake up. You read your Bible, you spend some time with God, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I'm in the Spirit. I'm meditating on these things, I'm thinking about them on a regular basis. I'm doing well, I'm doing well, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. All of a sudden, boom, situation happens. And it calls for you to uh, live out the beatitude and you get out of the Spirit. Are you going to be successful? Yes. No, <laughs> you're not. Like, you're going to fail. I want you to hear me right now. I need, you to, I need you to tattoo this on your forearm. You can never, ever, ever, ever expect the right outcome from doing it the wrong way. Amen? So when you get out of the Spirit and you try to be merciful and you just blunder the whole thing and you just you failed utterly, it's going to happen. What do you need to do now? Huh? Repent, go further. Here, 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 all these answers are correct. Here's what I need you to hear me to say. 
The first thing you need to do when you get out of the Spirit is as quickly as you can get back in the Spirit. But here's how, the, here's how you want to know how actually condemnation and shame and all these things work? Is that they actually keep you from getting back into the Spirit. To where the last thing you want to do is go pray or go get in the Word or go, or go humble yourself before God because, well, you know, I just, last time I tried that, I failed. Of course you're going to fall. You're going to fail. The right, though the righteous fall 70 times, right? Okay. And, and here's the thing. How do we, God forgiven you. Get back up. The, it, not the, the, the failure is not falling. Failure is not getting back up. Getting back up is, deter, is defined by getting back in the Spirit. So I want to take the pressure off, not all the way off, not in the sense of let's just not strive for the standard. Actually, I hope all of us feel some pressure to come up higher. Amen? Amen? But I don't want you to strive. I want you to get in the Spirit. Which, ironically, as we end this sermon... And next week's sermon starts with, blessed are the poor in. What a perfect segue into next week's month-long teaching on what it means to be poor in spirit. Let me help you right now. Look at me, everybody across this room. Your number one need in life. For everything. How you treat people, how you raise your kids, how you love your spouse, how you just function as a human being. Your number one, how you stand before God, all of it, everything that has to do with your entire life, your number one need, according to the teacher, Jesus Christ, in his very first teaching and message, is number one, start here. Get needy for God in his spirit. That word need there is the picture of a beggar on the side of the street, begging to, it's, it's his idea, the only way I can live is if you give me your spirit. The problem is, is we've learned to live without it. For more on that, come all of February. <laughs> Stand up on your feet. In order to do the Beatitudes, we've got to do the Beatitudes. The only way you can do it is by the Beatitudes. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we need you. God, I pray over our congregation, over our church. Jeremiah's prophecy. God, I pray that our hearts would be laid open before you. That you would try our hearts. That you would test our minds. And that when we come short, that by your spirit, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, we would come up higher and turn into the kingdom people, the Jesus people.
God, I pray that we would. I'm praying that every person in this room, I pray at this moment, I've been praying it for weeks now. I'm praying that every person in this room, every person that calls this church home, God, I'm asking you, asking you, asking you to burden their heart to become like this. God, I'm asking you not to be a Sunday morning sermon and then that was a good sermon and then we don't think about it the rest of the week. God, I pray that you would bring back to our remembrance day and night on our, on our night pillow and on our daily activity. God, that you constantly bring back to our remembrance these scriptures as we are meditating on them and being conformed and transformed by the renewing of our mind on the word of God. This is no small thing, God. This is everything right now, God. I pray that we would think of it as everything right now, God. I pray that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And I pray, God, that you are actually burdening every heart that hears these messages to become what we hear, not to just hear the words, but to become doers of the words, to build our life on the rock that is these teachings. We would take it very seriously. I'm asking right now for a spirit of sobriety to come over our church, of sober-mindedness, that we're not just walking through life hum-ho, but we are aware of the time and the season that we live in and that this call is necessary to display your kingdom in this hour. Our trust is not in man, but our trust is in the Lord our God. Alone. So God, rid us of flesh. God, we ask you to do surgery after surgery after surgery on our hearts. And God, we, we, and I pray that our level of vulnerability would only increase as we, as we go through this. And where people in this room, God, are resisting you and resisting your spirit and resisting this process, I'm asking you to keep grinding away at their hearts and keep pulverizing and pulverizing because you're the only one that can take the hard-hearted and break it down. So grace, grace. Grace, grace, you that big stone mountain in the middle of our chest. May it be removed and may there be a heart of flesh there where once was a heart of stone. In Jesus' name, God, we submit our lives to this process. We, it, is, it, is, it is 100% our reasonable act of worship right now. We are the offering that we lay upon the altar. Our own hearts, our own lives. Consume it with your holy fire and may something pure come out on the other end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I love you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.